podcast that believes if you pour a gallon of knowledge into a shot glass of a brain, you will have some spillage. What's What's Shaken with with Shainer? The podcast that celebrates the passion and the madness of the geek, the nerd, and often the absurd. With your host, Shaken Shainer. To all of my fellow geeks, nerds, and lovers of the absurd, I hope you are ready to get into another podcast smackdown as we jump into the next episode of What's Shaking with Shaner. As always, I am your host, Shaken Shaner. A big holy crap-a-doodle to all of you for joining us once again as we embark on a new journey and embrace those guilty pleasures, geeky obsessions, and little nerdy interests that we're so passionate about, because really, that is kind of the purpose of this show. If you have heard the geek out in episode 10 on burned fingers and mystical powers, or the absurdity of episode 3 in the debate on why don't we have the Jetson transport tube thingies, then you really kind of get the premise of this podcast. If you've not listened to those episodes yet, well, hey, it's not too late. Calm down. Don't worry, because to find all our episodes and links to the locations where you can listen to us, Shaken with Shainer, and for more additional content, head right over to our website, shakenshainer.com. That's right, shakenshainer.com, no G in Shaken. Yep, you can check them out and discover why I'm considered the original OG. But uh, hold on, wait, wait a second. What? Yeah, no, I know what it means. No, no, I do. Stands for old geek. Oh, really? Original gangster. Huh. Must be a new thing. Oh, get a beat down. All right, that makes sense. Okay, according to my producer, Psycho Bob the Cat, I should not call myself an OG, as it may get me a beat down or some hurting. So I guess I can't call myself an old geek. I'll just have to stick with referring to myself as Lord Baron von Geekenstein. Yeah, that sounds cool. So if you're thinking to yourself, self, I wonder what's shaking with Shainer today. Well, hey, there it is. Today, we will celebrate the long-lasting legacy of the Grimm brothers or the brothers Grimm. and guess what these guys were some serious nerds i'm telling you you gotta hear this as you may recall in episode 12 mirrors and who soul is trapped we discussed the mythology of mirrors and expertly determined who is trapped inside the magic mirror in Grimm's original snow white some of you asked for more of the Grimm brothers stories and more on the Grimm brothers themselves so hey here we go Jacob and Wilhelm were German academics, philologists, cultural researchers, lexicographers, and authors who together collected and published folklore and fairy tales. They are among the world's best-known storytellers for popularizing several stories such as Cinderella, The Frog Prince, Hansel and Gretel, 
Little Red Riding Hood, Rapunzel, Rumpelstiltskin, Sleeping Beauty, and yes, Snow White. But you may not have known how serious these guys were dedicated to not just the stories of folklore, but to education and, and academics. Both brothers attended the University of Marburg, where they developed a curiosity about German folklore, which grew into a lifelong dedication to collecting German folk tales and stories. In the 19th century, there was a revived interest in traditional folk stories, which to the brothers represented a pure form of national literature and culture. With the goal of researching local tales, they even established a methodology for collecting and recording studies that has now become the basis for all folklore studies and review. That's right. They themselves, not by just collecting them, created a way to categorize them, refer to them, and it's a method still used today. Between 1812 and 1857, their first collection was revised and republished many times, growing from the original 86 stories in the first edition to more than 200 stories. In addition to writing and modifying folktales, the brothers wrote collections of well-respected German and Scandinavian mythologies. Between 1816 and 1818, the brothers published a two-volume work titled German Legends, or Deutschsagen, consisting of 585 German legends. Jacob undertook most of the work of collecting and editing the legends, which he organized according to region and historical or ancient legends, and were about real people or events. The brothers meant it as a scholarly work, yet the historical legends were often taken from secondary sources, interpreted, modified, and rewritten, resulting in works that were regarded as trademarks. Less well-known is the Grimm's pioneering scholarly work on a German dictionary, which they began in 1838. Not until 1852 did they begin publishing the dictionary in installments. However, the work on the dictionary was not finished in their lifetimes, because in it they gave a history and an analysis of each word. Each word. Really? Each word? Well, that's pretty amazing, and I think it's safe to say these were some serious academics and scholars. So I think we need to try a new phrase for these two. Let's just refer to them as nerders, nerders, word herders. Today's episode brought to you in part by the WTF Network. The creative minds at the WTF Network are at it again. They are bringing you the brand new game show, Sweeping Sheboygan. Poop or puke. For those of us with small children, infants, toddlers, cats, dogs, even aardvarks, will occasionally in the morning step in something and go, Ooh, what did I just step in? Or, oh my God, oh my God, what's in my hand? What's on my hand? You have what it takes to play the brand new game show, Poop or Puke. That's right, Poop or Puke is the latest sensation, and you can check it out on the WTF Network on Saturdays at 3 a.m. It's the number one show about number two. You might even say it's craptacular.
The brothers gained a reputation for collecting tales from peasants, although many tales actually came from the middle class or aristocratic acquaintances. Jacob established the framework maintained through many iterations and Wilhelm assumed sole responsibility for editing and rewriting the tales. He made the tales stylistically similar, added dialogue, removed pieces that might detract from a rustic tone, improved the plots, and incorporated psychological motifs. Ronald Murphy writes in The Owl, the Raven, and the Dove that the brothers, and in particular Wilhelm, also added religious and spiritual motifs to the tales. He believes that Wilhelm gleaned bits from old Germanic faiths, Norse mythology, Roman and Greek mythology, and biblical stories that he then reshaped. The legends and folk stories were mostly not intended for kids. They were not intended to be children's tales. There was early concern about the content of some of the stories, such as those that showed children being eaten and suggested adding a subtitle to warn parents of the content. Instead, the brothers added an introduction with cautionary advice that parents should steer children toward more age-appropriate stories and not read these. Despite some unease, none of the tales were eliminated from their original collection. In the brothers' belief that all tales were of value and reflected inherent cultural quality. Furthermore, the stories were at a time when discipline relied on fear that such tales such as Little Red Riding Hood and Hansel and Gretel were written as warning tales for children and were later deemed as just fables. The stories in Grimm's Brother First Edition include scenes of violence that have been since sanitized. And in the Grimm's original version of Snow White, the queen is Little Snow White's mother, not her stepmother. Yet even so, she orders her huntsman to kill Snow White, her biological daughter, and instructs the huntsman to bring home the child's lungs and liver so that she can eat them. The story ends with the queen dancing at Snow White's wedding, wearing a pair of red-hot iron shoes that killed her as she danced to death. Again, we noted a lot of this in our 12th episode. Another story, The Goose Girl, has a servant being stripped naked and pushed into a barrel studded with sharp nails, pointing inwards, and then rolled down the street. What the hell? That's kind of a weird tale. I don't know why you would do it, but I guess she just had to grim and bear it. (laughs) (laughs) The Grimm's version of The Frog Prince describes the princess throwing the frog against a wall instead of kissing him. Eh, she didn't kiss him, just threw him against the wall. Bap! To some extent, the cruelty and violence may have been a reflection of medieval culture from which the tales originated, such as scenes of witches burning, as described in the story The Six Swans. Some changes were made in light of unfavorable reviews, you think, particularly from those who objected that not all the tales were suitable for children because of scenes of violence and sexuality. Wilhelm worked to modify plots of the stories. For example, Rapunzel in the first edition, it clearly shows a sexual relationship between the prince and the girl in the tower, which he edited out in subsequent editions because she ends up getting pregnant. Thus is why she wants to leave the tower. Hmm, guess she was letting down a little more than her hair. 
<laughs> oh, I'm funny. I think it is pretty safe to say that these stories were really not intended for children to read. A great example of that is the story of the girl without hands. The original first edition version of this story is included on our website. Go ahead and go on over there. Take a read of that. We're going to have it up there for you. But let's just jump into a, a, a quick summary. A strange man approaches a miller and offers him riches in exchange for whatever he found standing behind the mill. Believing that it was only the apple tree and unaware of the stranger's identity, obviously the miller agrees. Then the miller discovers that it was his own daughter standing behind the mill and that the man was actually the devil. Huh, who knew? After three years, the devil reappears to take the girl as he had said he would. The girl had kept herself free of sin and her hands clean, and so the devil is unable to take her because she is free of sin with clean hands. The devil threatens to take the miller in place of his daughter unless he cuts off the girl's hands. That's right, the deal with the devil not only includes him giving up his daughter, but to cut off her hands. What the hell? Out of fear, the miller and his daughter agree to this. Eh, sounds logical. The girl, however, continues to weep onto the stumps where her hands were, so they remain clean, and the devil still cannot take her. The girl, despite her father's newfound wealth, decides to escape into the world and find her own new life. She had the chopped-off hands tied to her back, and she set forth with the rising sun, walking the entire day until evening when she came to the king's garden. There was a gap in the garden head. She was able to sneak inside. She found a fruit tree, shook it with her body, because she had no arms, until the apples fell to the ground. She bent over and picked them up with her teeth. That's right, no hands. Shook the apples from the tree, bent down, picked them up with her teeth, and ate them. Thus she lived for two days inside the garden, but on the third, the garden watchman saw her, captured her, and thus threw her into prison. The next morning she was sentenced to be banished by the king. However, the prince, king's son, noticed her, and suggested instead of banishing her, why don't we let her tend to the chickens in the courtyard? Time goes by and the prince needs to marry, and he tells the king, yes, he is in love with a girl with no arms and wants to marry her. Finally, after much debate back and forth, the king agrees. Subsequently, the king passes and the prince becomes king with his new wife without arms, and they are extremely happy. But as such is life, war comes, and the new king must leave for battle. In his absence, the girl with no arms gives birth and sends a message to the king to let him know. The messenger stopped to rest on his way to deliver the message. This gave the devil the chance to change the letter to say that the queen had given birth to a changeling. That's right, a mutant of some sort. The king responds they will care for the child nonetheless. However, the devil then steals that message, the king's response, and changed it. The letter now instructs the king's subjects to drive his wife and child out of his kingdom. That's right, the devil, 
kind of a bastard. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before in your dealings with the devil. Girl with no arms states she did not come to this kingdom to be queen and had no luck and demanded none. She just said, tie my child and my hands to my back. I will set forth into the world. While in the thick forest, she comes across a stranger who assists her and tells her to go over to the thickest tree, wrap her maimed arms around the tree three times. Having nothing to lose, she does so, and as she does it, her arms actually grow back. That's right, she got new arms, new hands, and she's even given a hut to live in. After the war, the king returns to the castle and discovers that the letters back and forth had been tampered with. He sets out to find his wife and child. After a long search, he locates the hut where his wife now lives. They are reunited, and when they leave, the hut disappears. The Brothers Grimm altered the tale they had collected, incorporating a motif found in other fairy tales of a child unwittingly promised, but not in the original version of this one. Indeed, one study of German folktales found 16 variants collected on this story after the publication of Grimm's fairy tales. Only one followed the Grimm's in the way this opened. In earlier, much darker versions of this tale found around the world, the maiden's dismemberment comes because she refuses the sexual advances of her father and or brother as in the other versions of this tale, such as a father cuts off his daughter's arms, or in Basile's Penta of the Chopped Off Hands. The heroine has her own hands cut off to repulse her brother's advances. Other variants of this tale include the one-handed girl, the armless maiden, and Bianca Bella and the snake. Various attempts have been made to explain why her hands are the target of her father's or sometimes brother's rage at being thwarted. But the motif, though widespread, is without a clear purpose, and when motives are supplied, they vary greatly. Penta of the chopped off hands, Basile went to great lengths to provide a motive for his heroine's actions. Her brother, exclaiming over her beauty, dwells with particular detail on the loveliness of her hands. Kind of weird. In the chivalric romance, Le Mankind, the princess does it herself because by law, the king cannot marry any woman missing any part of her body. This story has maintained a similar appeal as other stories, such as Cinderella and Snow White, but without maintaining mainstream appeal. Yeah, I wonder why that is. It has been adapted countless times, though, in various different mediums over the centuries, but never on as large a scale as other grim stories that grew to be popular. Obviously, this can be attributed to the fact that the themes of abuse and resilience that are prevalent in this story were too inappropriate for it to become popular among young children in the same way that other stories did. Yeah, could you imagine Disney making a movie on this? However, the story is still told and is recognized as an example of oppression, abuse, and sexual misconduct. It also, though, includes perseverance. In other words, hope.
There have been so many books, stories, movies, and TV shows about these tales and have even been reimagined several times with the Grimm brothers actually being a part of the story or thrown into the mix as well. The film, Brothers Grimm, imagines them as con artists, exploiting superstitious German peasants until they are asked to confront a genuine fairy tale curse calls them to finally be heroes. The movie Ever After shows the Grimms in their role as collectors of fairy tales, though they learn, to their surprise, that at least one of their stories, Cinderella, is actually true. Let's not forget the TV show Grimm, which follows a detective who discovers that he is the latest in a line of guardians, known as Grimms, who are sworn to keep the balance between humanity and mythological creatures. Ever After High imagines the Grimms, here called Milton and Giles, as the headmasters of the Ever After High boarding school, where they train the children of the previous generation of fairy tales to follow in their parents' footsteps. Let's not forget the different take of several stories and movies that would not be possible today without these original stories, especially some of my favorites. The Fractured Fairy Tales were very popular when they came out in the 60s, and then, of course, Shrek, and another favorite of mine, Hoodwinked. The lasting legacy is really amazing. If you take a look at all of the stories, movies, books, TV shows, on tales that were collected by the Brothers Grimm, or the Grimm Brothers, over 200 years ago and published, it's absolutely mind-boggling. This stuff is still popular. There's still TV shows and movies being made about it today. This is a great celebration of two nerds. That's right. These guys were some serious literary nerds. They were involved in so much and such a passion for it, set out to change so many different things with all of the fairy tales, not to mention the legends, and their attempt at the dictionary that we mentioned, there is so much more information out there on them, the impact they still have over 200 years after their original stories. So, the University Library at Humboldt University of Berlin is housed inside the Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm Center, and among its collections is a large portion of the Grimm's Brothers Private Library. Pretty amazing. I haven't been to Germany, obviously. If I get a chance to go, that is definitely one place I'd want to go check out because that's pretty amazing. Their original private library is there in Berlin, Germany, as it should be because they were really those first original nerds pushing their own native culture, talking about their own stories and folklore in order to bring back a recognition in their national conscious. Good on them. And again, this is just another celebration of those nerds, geeks, the absurd out there in this world that has had a long-lasting impact. That's going to wrap it up for our celebration of Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. That's right, I now refer to them as nerders, nerders, word herders. I'm really glad you joined us. I hope you enjoyed learning more about the Grimm brothers or the Brother Grimms, however you want to talk about them. If you want to learn more information, I'm going to have a whole bunch of articles and links up on our website, chickenchainer.com, for you to go and take a look, check out, and learn even more about 
the Brothers Grimm. But before we close out, I want to give a shout out to some of the other independent or indie podcast hosts that are out there everywhere for you to check out. I stumbled upon one recently that I really, really enjoy. It's called Being Bookish. It's a wonderful weekly podcast where the host reviews a new book and talks about it, all spoiler-free. But then again, I really do enjoy listening to her show. You need to check it out. It's called, again, Being Bookish. I have a link on the website. She has a wonderful British accent. To me, it doesn't matter what she's talking about. I'm pretty much mesmerized just listening to her. So if you love books and you really want to be engaged by the speaker, you need to check her out, Being Bookish. Go to the website, find the links. I can't thank you enough for spending some of your precious time with us. And I hope you're making it a point to take time in your day, week, month to really spend it on those geeky, nerdy little obsessions that you have and just feed that passion because that passion will feed your soul. And feeding your soul is just going to make you happier and healthier in the long run. All right, that's it for me, everybody. Once again, thanks for joining us on this journey into the passion and the madness of the geek, the nerd, and often the absurd.